0: Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. In this week's episode I talked to Emily Andrew about her experience of binge drinking and how this impacted and intertwined with her relationship with food and struggling with bulimia. This episode was really insightful to think about the nuance of somebody's relationship with alcohol as well as their relationship with food and I think it's so important that we continue to have these nuanced and individualized conversations. Anyway, hello! After all that chaos it's so
1: nice to see you again. (laughs) I know it's so lovely to see you too how are you?
0: Yeah I'm not bad thank you um I've actually had such a productive day I like yesterday had so many things I wanted to achieve because I'm home alone this weekend and um I just didn't feel in the mood to do any of them and so I was just like it's okay like I'll just have like a self-care day like got my nails done and saw a friend for coffee and then today I woke up and I was like today's the day and I've done everything I wanted to do and it's not even three o'clock yet so I'm very happy
1: amazing how are you that's just what we want yeah no I'm good thank you um it's it's a Sunday and I have a two-year-old so it's about (laughs) as good as it gets
0: amazing um well I'm super excited to chat to you today I think this was a podcast that i had a request to record um people were speaking about like their relationship with alcohol um particularly like binge drinking and stuff like that so yeah i'm very excited to speak so i guess for the listeners do you just want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do
1: yeah sure so um my name is emily andrew i am an advanced eft practitioner and eating disorder practitioner. And I am actually training at the moment to be a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist as well to add an extra little qualification there. Um, so I work a lot with eating disorders um, and disordered eating. I also work on a more wide uh, kind of view with things like phobias, fears, anxiety, those kind of things with EFT. Um, but essentially, A lot of the work that I do is really about helping people to overcome the stuff that's keeping them stuck in a really curious, compassionate way and giving them the tools to to really start to live their life as they'd like to live
0: it. Um, So, I I mean... It sounds brilliant. And I've loved watching your work and watching you grow because I think that it's just been so refreshing to see somebody with such like a positive mindset and really making a difference. Um, But I guess we did an episode separately on EFT. But just in case people don't know, can you just tell us a little bit about what it is? Because I feel like it will be relevant to this episode when, when we're talking.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques. Um, It is a combination between a somatic, which is tapping on acupressure points and the cognitive. So that could be cognitive statements. It could be exposure. And essentially what it does is it helps to work um, really deeply in the body. So it helps to affect the amygdala, which is our stress center in our body, helps to um, bring that that activation down when we're activated. It helps to reduce um, blood pressure, cortisol levels. Um, It changes DNA expression. It works really deeply. But the result of that basically means that when we're emotionally activated, whether that's where, you know, we're feeling extremely stressed about something uh, or perhaps when we um, go through something quite traumatic, uh, triggers, etc. It helps to bring those down, bring the emotional intensity down out of that. So then we can make a choice of how we want to act. So, as an example of the way that I use it with with clients, um, with my eating disorder clients, is when it think when we're thinking about fear foods. So, fear foods, there's often um, emotional attachments to that, even if we're not really entirely sure what they are. Um, and what you can do is you can use EFT. It's it's kind of reverse cravings work, and you can reduce the fear and the anxiety around that food, so that then they can have the choice of whether they want to kind of reintegrate that food back into their life and their lifestyle so it essentially helps to emotionally free you from the stuff that's holding you back
0: wow it all sounds way too good to be true like (laughs) I think you know that intensity of that fear around whatever is holding you back from like you know moving on from an eating disorder or eating a certain food it sounds amazing to have that freedom to not have that anxiety anymore
1: and I think it's I think that's something that that's really important to you know no, it's not a magic mm-hmm. tool, you know it's not i don't I don't proclaim eating um, EFT to be the 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 solution for all eating disorders, you know um, they're they're complex just as addictions are, but it can make the journey a lot easier. Mm -hmm. You know, it isn't a magic pill where, you know, you might do a couple of sessions with me on a particular food and then, you know, suddenly the eating disorder goes away, but it it helps to just minimize some of the aspects. So for example, um, if a client that I worked with, they had real anxiety around, um, the mealtime environment. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we tapped on when the anxiety came in. So when, what, when did that start? We tapped on that. That was when they got called to dinner. Okay, so we tapped on that. We ended up bringing the anxiety down. The next time they went and had their meal, they noticed that the anxiety was down, but it came back when the thought of an empty plate came in. So then we did a bit more tapping on that. That helped to reduce some of the anxiety around that. And obviously there's other emotions involved. I'm just really simplifying it. But we did maybe three sessions and the the client reported that for the first time since they were ill they were able to eat an entire meal so that's just you know that's one case and that's one instance but that is one instance against the eating disorder Mm -hmm. you know it's proof that not only they can do it but they can do it without the extreme anxiety that comes with it so it's It's a tool essentially, it's not a miracle, it's not a miracle working kind of pill or or magical device, but it is a tool that um, some people find that is really helpful for them in their recovery journey. Um, Yeah, and
0: I think it's so important to highlight that, isn't it? Because I don't think there's any one thing that is like a magic fix for eating disorder recovery It's it's a concoction of lots of different things which is what makes it so challenging um but I think you know having tools in your back pocket that allow you to reduce that level of anxiety when you're doing something that maybe you haven't done for a while or really does bring up a lot of emotion for you that is so important to have I always call it my like recovery toolbox to have lots of things in there that I can sort of you know pardon the pun tap into um for when situations arise if if things are feeling difficult. And I think, you know, like you said, there, whilst it is only maybe, you know, that one situation that you worked on with a client, I think the really good thing about something like EFT is yes again, you tapped into that and reduced the anxiety for that. And then they took that forwards. But then they can also take that skill into other difficult times, difficult behaviors, and tap into that as well to reduce the anxiety. So it's, it's something that like, you know, just because you're doing it for that one behavior doesn't mean that you can't take it elsewhere and work on different things as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, as a practitioner, I don't just use the ethic, you know, I, mm. I bring in lots of other modalities because it is an integrative approach and that's really important um and 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 yeah i think the reason why i'm so passionate about eft is because it's a tool once you learn it you've learned it the world is your oyster in terms of what Mm -hmm. you apply it to you know it can be eating disorder recovery but it can also be you know uh, public speaking it can be goal setting it can be you know just trying to bring your um your emotional frequency up like all of those things like it it can be a really fun thing um that you can take into any any kind of uh area if you like
0: yeah absolutely and how did you start in EFT what got you into it
1: it was through my eating disorder training Mm -hmm. um so when I was training as an eating disorder practitioner they kind of talked about the importance of having like lots of different tools and they talked about this eft thing and i thought that's never heard of it thought thought it was a bit weird um but there was something in me that just kind of went i well i might as well just train in it and see so i started the course and when i first started it i wasn't very convinced because i was like how is gonna how is tapping on your face going to stop you from having a phobia of a dog like how is that going to happen and i didn't get the Um, I didn't get the understanding of it in that first lot of training that I went through. So I thought, right, I'm going to research it. So I'm going to go and I'm going to research it. And I just inhaled EFT research. And the more I learned, the more I thought, there's something in this that I want to give a go. And um, as part of your practitioner training, you have to do 50 hours with over 25 different people. So I just opened it up for free. I just said, right, anyone that's got anything, just come and work with me and like, you know, mm-hmm. I did so many different things, cravings work, depression, anxiety, phobias, um, trauma, like so much stuff. And every single session, the every single person out of those 50 hours, apart from one person that said they might need a little bit more felt a benefit from that session. Wow. You know, I'm not saying we we totally like, you know, yeah. one session cured somebody of their phobia of flying, but, it, you know, I mean, that one actually did. But the, the other one, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying one session is a wonder, but there it was just amazing that, you know, people felt that that kind of benefit just from quite a short inter interval of, mm-hmm. of kind of therapeutic work. Yeah. Um, and then the rest was history. I was like, right, well, this is what I'm doing then. I'm yeah. going to be an advanced practitioner. I'm going to keep training. And, yeah, love it.
0: And you are now, I mean, to me anyway, like the queen of EFT. Like if I think EFT, I literally think of you. Like it's particularly, obviously, like I'm in the eating disorder circle, but I'm like, that is Emily's jam. Like that is what Emily does. Um, So yeah, I absolutely always think of you. And it's, it's funny as well, I think I mentioned this to you when we spoke before, but my mum had EFT years and years ago and she had a weird, well, I say weird, I probably shouldn't say that, but basically she had a phobia of ripped or wet tissue, um, And so much so that, like, you know, if we went to a swimming bath, like, she'd really struggle in case there was toilet paper there. Or, like, if we went out for dinner and someone had left a napkin, like, she couldn't sit at the table. And it sounds, you know, when I say it to someone, they're like, you know, is, is she all right? Like, what have you? But it was crippling for her and it was really affecting her. And she had EFT and she now if there's a bit of ripped tissue on the table like some one time she did actually even pick it up which i thought was just incredible but most of the time she's just like oh hannah would you mind just moving that and it's like that's amazing because she used to be paralyzed by it and now she can just say oh can you just sort that and it's totally fine um so yeah i am fully i think eft it's like such a good tool to have in your back pocket um and like you say just so transferable into into different things
1: yeah 100% and it's not there's no weird phobias I mean I had to tap through my phobia of nail files so you Mm. know like (laughs) there's yeah I think the thing is as well we can look at the we can and this is quite apt for what we're going to talk about as well but we can look at the 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 thing which is you know a fear of wet tissue but there's always something underneath it there's always something more than that and and actually there is no weird phobia there is no weird behavior you know What I always say with my clients, especially with eating disorders, there's nothing that I haven't heard or probably done myself. Mm -hmm. Obviously, myself having an eating disorder for a decade when I was younger, Mm -hmm. and so and and actually, instead of trying to look at just the behaviour and trying to change that, actually, sometimes it can be really useful to understand what's behind it, what that behaviour is is trying to solve or trying to manage or deal with and then actually being able to kind of compassionately adjust that so that the behavior isn't so needed anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, when I was say about my mum's ripped tissue, like, and it's the same with eating disorders. It's not the actual thing that's the issue. It's, you know, a traumatic event that might have occurred or it's a coping mechanism for something. Um which I think is so common and often we just like look at the behaviour rather than digging underneath, which is so important, which nicely brings us on to what we were going to chat about today. Um, So we had a request from quite a few listeners, actually, particularly during dry January, um, to talk about binge drinking and people's relationship with alcohol. And personally, I find this a really interesting topic because... I come from a place where I don't think that I have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, um, apart from when I'm, like, really struggling emotionally. And if I'm in a social situation, I will start drinking and then be like, oh, I feel better about myself now, and then I won't be able to stop. But if I haven't started, then I'm okay. But equally on the other side, it's a difficult relationship to navigate because... For me cutting out alcohol also means cutting out calories and there's the fear of calories in alcohol so actually sometimes having a drink is beating the eating disorder in a weird way but then obviously there's the complexity of kind of numbing and things like that so that's sort of my 360 view of it um but I really wanted to speak to you about your experience so do you mind sharing with the listeners what your experience has been with alcohol?
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and I love this as well because it is such a nuanced conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my experience, so um, I, I alluded to it before, I myself have struggled with eating disorders um, from probably the age of around 14, 15. Um, I had anorexia and that later developed into bulimia. And um, so it got to a point where I was hospitalized when I was 21. Um, I've been kind of recovered for around 10 years now. So I've kind of been in it, out of it, as long as I was in it, if mm. that makes sense. Um, which is quite a wonderful feeling. Um, but for me, essentially the way that alcohol played a part in that was very much a, uh, kind of accompanying my kind of binge purge cycles quite a lot of the time, um, and I never thought I had a problem with alcohol uh, because I was kind of using it in a way of my eating disorder but what I found when I did kind of uh, you know I I kind of came away from bulimia was that I started to use alcohol in the same way that I used my eating disorder Mm. and so there was a and it was really interesting because, you know, I'd been out of recovery technically. But whenever I drank, there was a side of the eating disorder that was still there. It was like the ghost of the eating disorder a little bit. And it was it it was quite hard for me to admit that because I was like, but I'm better now. Like, you know, I'm starting to live my life and you know, all of this stuff. But then I I noticed that there was the same kind of patterning of, I want to feel numb. You know, I don't want to feel anything. I don't want to think anymore. Um, And I wasn't drinking, you know, every day. I wasn't, and I feel like anyone who has had a problem with alcohol will always say this. I wasn't drinking every day. I didn't Mm -hmm. wake up and have, um, you know, I didn't wake up and have a drink. But the way that I was approaching alcohol was becoming very problematic for me. Um, so I ended up basically saying, I'm going to stop drinking for a year. I'm going to just try it and see, because at that point in my life, I was like, well, you've got to have something. You can't be too too healthy because that in itself is a bad problem. So you've got to drink because everybody else drinks. Mm. Um, so I can't continue to justify it for a while, but I just thought, you know what, I'm going to have a year off. And I'm going to see what happens. And I quit um, on my birthday in April 2019. By October, I was off my anxiety medication. And I haven't drunk anything since. So it's five years later in April this year. um, And I haven't felt the need to drink again, just because the benefits for me have been so vast. And I was talking to my grandpa actually the other day because we were talking about you know how I'd really struggled when I was younger, and he said kind of when when was it that you, that you've actually you know felt really better? And it and I thought about it, and actually you know I've been I've been out of, in recovery or out of recovery however we want to say it. You know I haven't had needed any help for my eating disorder since I was 22, 23 Um. But I would say I've only really felt truly free and really mentally well for the last five years mm-hmm. because I haven't had something to cope with life. I've had to use I've had to work out how to cope with life myself mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that that's kind of a mini roundup. But if you've got specific questions, please mm-hmm. let's, let's dive. I on. have
0: lots of. I always have lots of questions. <laughs> My mind is like. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think it's. I mean, firstly, congratulations! And what would you say for like, you know, when, on your anniversary? Do you have like a specific word? Is it like happy birthday?
1: Happy. Oh, you kind sober of, day? You can kind of say happy sober verse.
0: Soberversary okay well happy soberversary for April um that is that is fantastic so (laughs) you know amazing well done um I think something that's really important to like that I always want to talk about in this sort of thing is that once again it's another behavior that uh, it can be approached in life in a healthy way And it also can be like an obsessive compulsive way. So, you know, I'm thinking about like exercise, like, I mean, exercise is different because exercise has health benefits, you know, having a drink doesn't necessarily have health benefits but you can just have like a couple with your friends and that makes you feel really happy. And then you move on with your life and that's fine. Um, But like exercise, drinking can be something that is also very negative and addictive. And I think it's difficult because it's probably different for everybody. But did you have, or do you have, like things in your mind that you think that's how I can see how somebody would have, like, a quote unquote healthy relationship with alcohol? But then that's when it becomes unhealthy.
1: I think it is really nuanced. And it, the thing is, is that alcohol in itself, well, it depends what t- you take on it. Gabal Mate says that no drug is addictive. It's it's what predisposes the person to be to struggle with the addiction, you know, and that can be a brain thing, but it can also be a life thing. Um So you know it isn't necessarily and I've always been really careful not to um, demonize alcohol just as I don't Mm. demonize anything else because I do think that is problematic because often what you'll find with people that quit drinking they will then start to transfer their coping mechanism into food Mm -hmm. people struggle with their relationship with food when they quit drinking that's really common and I see it all the time and it's because the 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 reason why they were drinking hasn't been addressed hmm. they've just transferred it so quite a lot of people who do struggle with their with their relationship with food and they start to find that you know that's getting better they might find that they're transferring that into alcohol or exercise or you know so actually it's a really individual thing but i think the question always to ask yourself is what what is this for because although, you know, the the studies will say, oh, alcohol is good for your heart or alcohol is bad for your heart. Like there's a, there's always, you know, conflicting information there, but it is a social lubricant. And for some people who are in eating disorder recovery, that is something that they find really difficult. And so going and, and being part of the world again mm-hmm. is a really key thing. So it's not, it's not helpful to be like, oh, now you've transferred you know, now, now you're transferring that, that's not good. Um, but it's about being able to really get curious with yourself and give yourself the compassion to be able to go, am I doing this because I'm trying not to feel something? Or am I doing this because I want to be part of something? Like, and I think it's, um it's always kind of a learning and, it, and you check in. Uh, with yourself for me I found that the more the more that I really sat with myself I realized I couldn't cope with just being in my own head like that was something that I really struggled with so it would be like let's drink if there's a celebration let's drink if we've had a bad day let's drink because it's Friday you know and there was always a reason that took me further away from life instead of allowing it my like it to be a gate into life so that was the thing for me where i thought actually what i'm all i'm doing here is just coming more into myself and not into my true self just into this like bubble wrapped version of not feeling not thinking self Mm -hmm. and that that was why i just thought let's just try it for a year and then we'll see and I'm still in the process of of saying, well, we'll just see. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I've never been one person that's particularly, you know, I know for me, because there was, there was, and I don't know if there still is, but there there was a side of myself that, that if I told myself I couldn't do something, then I'd immediately want to rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, So there is, the, it, there is that side of me, but I've often wondered, you know, hmm, is this a form of? like being really controlled or being really restricted by not drinking but actually for me the life benefit for me as not drinking is much better than what I did have when I was
0: yeah and I think I think that's such a good point and I really like what you were saying there about I think the experience can be different from it for everybody but I think one thing that really like um clicked with me was you said about does it like bring you into something or does it take you away from something? And and for me, like having a drink with my friends is a really enjoyable moment. And, and that's, you know, something I really like. And sometimes it does allow me to just relax a little bit and to, you know, focus more on being around my friends rather than panicking about, you know, the calories in the drink or whatever. Um, but I can also appreciate for some people that it's a it's a it's a soothing mechanism. Um and I think if that's your only way to self-soothe, then that's probably when it can be quite detrimental. Um, But I'm exactly the same as you in that if I say to myself, you can't have that, then it's kind of all that's on my mind. And I think, you know, we only have to look at, kind of the the binge restrict cycle in terms of when people restrict something your body then just absolutely hankers onto that and craves it and then when you do end up having it you have it in a much larger quantity um and something that I have been kind of doing with myself recently to explore whether choices I'm making are revolving around like health and well-being like actual health and well-being not kind of like you know the eating disorders idea of health and well-being is to think if I had a different option to this um, would I choose it based on not how might eat? basically I'll, I'll give an example rather than um, what I'm trying to say but I've been exploring my relationship with food and I previously have been vegetarian and I was trying to explore am I vegetarian because of The animals and the planet and things like that or am I vegetarian because it gives me an opportunity to restrict in certain situations and I asked myself if there was a chicken sandwich and a cheese sandwich but the cheese sandwich was double the amount of calories than the chicken sandwich which one would I have and my answer at the time was a chicken sandwich and I think the same thing for me I try and do with alcohol is and this is just my unique perspective, because for me, the thing that scares me about alcohol is the calories. I know that everybody will have like a whole host of different things, but if there's a non-alcoholic drink and an alcoholic drink. But the non-alcoholic drink is even the same amount of calories as the alcoholic drink, because I have to recognize the fact that I'm not going to get that slight little buzz from the alcoholic drink, which one would I have? And every time it's the alcoholic drink so that to me says that the reason that I am trying to limit my alcohol consumption is all about calories rather than it being sort of a you know other aspects of of not drinking alcohol that people might think about
1: Mm. I think as well when you were talking about you know going out and um, like being with friends and stuff I think the, the experiment and the question as well is always like, could I do this without alcohol? Mm-hmm. And if I couldn't, why? What mm-hmm. is it about, what am I trying? You know, is it because I don't feel like I, I'm, it's safe to be myself? Is it, is it that, um, you know, is there, is there an anxiety there that I could, you know, it's, we want to make sure that we're, we can do the things that we feel that we can't do without the need for alcohol you know yeah. and being yeah. able to you know being able to experiment with that I think is the really interesting thing and I think a lot of the time as well there's a lot uh, you know I de- I've i definitely done this but I think there's a lot of people that also probably do this it's kind of I think I think the term is like drunkorexia mm-hmm. where yeah. it's it, where it's like you and and that is something that people again it's like making i I, when i went traveling this is a really good example of it when i went traveling in australia i basically lived for about six months with barely any food but mostly alcohol and it's one of those where i just thought how was i alive Mm -hmm. how how did that how did that happen but there was there wasn't an option for me because it was like well i can't I'm going to drink. I can't eat. It's cheating to eat, you know, and it's interesting that we have these little societal things of like eating, yes. is cheating when it comes to a night out. And, you know, or, you know, if you think about somebody who is restricting, they go up for a night out and they allow themselves to end up at the chip shop in the, in, in, mm-hmm. at the end of the night, you know. And, you know, could you do that without alcohol? If not, why? Like, and Mm. the the why obviously will be like the eating disorder, but what is it that it's all, what I'm trying to say is that I think that nobody knows what their path is until they start to tread on it. Because that's when we discover and we learn and we allow ourselves to, Find out without you know these judgy this is what i have to do this is what this person's done this is what i should do etc etc um but i i'm just i'm really keen on for me when i quit as well but also for anybody that does quit like why do you if you do feel like you've got a problematic relationship with alcohol what's it serving How is it helping you? Because it will be helping you just as the eating disorder is trying to help you as well. It's trying to help us either deal with stuff that's happened in the past or help us to kind of shrink down from being ourselves because maybe we feel like we're too much or it's trying to help to level something that's going on in our chemistry and our brain. Like there is always a purpose of keeping us safe in one way or another. So to demonize it and just be like, right, well, I'm not doing it without learning those other coping mechanisms, having that recovery toolbox, you are just white knuckling it and putting yourself through more pain and the unnecessary pain than is needed.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting way to look at it, because I think you're so right in that the immediate reaction if somebody has a problematic relationship with alcohol is to just cut it out and maybe not explore what the alcohol is serving in terms of, you know, allowing you to navigate different situations. And I I guess it's really difficult because I think for a lot of people, you know, just stopping drinking is the easier thing to do. Um, And I completely get that. But then I guess you need to give yourself that extra time to... Um, actually then work out what it's allowing you to navigate and to also give yourself compassion in that if you do have a problematic relationship with with alcohol and then you stop drinking not only are you then going to be missing the alcohol maybe for the social lubricant side of things the taste of it whatever you know whatever thing you liked but you're also then not going to have that coping mechanism for those things that you've kind of not been able to feel like you can navigate without it. So then it's like a whole barrage of things. Um, So I suppose then it's a really good time to start to think about other coping mechanisms that can support you. But I also think there's that added extra of and again, I, I say it's similar to exercise, but I think that's probably because that's sort of how I relate to this, because I'd say that would be my addiction, is it is so normalized in society to, I think particularly, um, if I compare myself to my parents, my parents' generation is much more of like a beer each evening, sort of when you get back from work or glass of wine with dinner generation, whereas my Generation is like, don't drink for the whole week, and then you go out on a Saturday and absolutely send everything that you can see. But that binge drinking culture is, is so normalized, and it made me giggle. Um, I, I did something really bad actually. On I was on a skiing holiday, and we've been skiing all day, and I was bloody hungry, as you would be, but I was like, no, I'm not letting my eating disorder win because I had in my head, like, I'm going to be going out later, and like when you're skiing and you drink beer, and that was scary. And so I said to my partner, oh, would you mind, um, he was going back to the shadow. I was like, would you mind just getting me a protein bar? And I was really proud of myself for asking. And I asked in front of lots of people as well. So I was like, I'm really proud of myself. And one of my friends went, oh, Hannah, eating's cheating. And I was just like, Oh, it's not cheating when you're recovering from anorexia, and my partner's mouth just hit the floor. But I was like, I just, I, I probably shouldn't have said anything, but I was equally just like, comments like that are just not helpful for anybody. Um, uh, that was a massive tangent, but I think basically what I was trying to get to, I can't remember what I was saying. So that was just my tangent. Story. Just the
1: normalization of it. Yes. No, I love that, and you're right though, because that it is so normalized, and I think when you do. I um, I think what I was trying to say earlier as well is that I think if I, if my relationship with alcohol wasn't the way that it was, I don't think I would have recovered from my eating disorder when I did. Like I did, I needed that transition mm-hmm. because I went from something way worse that was life threatening into something that was a little bit more normalized, but still extremely problematic in, in the way of it. And at that point in my life, it was like, well, alcohol is so normalized, like everybody drinks, you know, and, and if I didn't have that transition phase, and then obviously coming to the end of that, when it, it started becoming even more of a problem than just, um, like just in terms of the way that I approached that drinking, um, when I when I stopped drinking, I thought that there was going to be a really big wave of people asking if I was pregnant, or asking if I, you know, had a had a drinking problem, or having an opinion, or and and I guess it, for me, not everybody has this, but I was quite lucky in that people just respected the fact that I said I'm doing it for a challenge to myself, just mm-hmm. to see if my, ha- what happens in my life if I stop for a, a, a year. And by kind of eight months in, nobody cared. I mean, nobody cared anyway. I think people, we think we worry that people will care a lot more than they actually do. Um, but they're so self-obsessed. I, guess, I
0: always think with this sort of thing, like you think that they'll care, but actually they don't care. about as long as they can still do what they want to do, they don't care what you're doing.
1: Exactly. Exactly. If I was, if I was, you know, preaching at everybody that why the reasons why everybody should stop drinking alcohol, yeah. maybe it would be different. But that's ne- that's never really been what i've been like i think there is a transitional phase where you are a little bit more and i don't know if you found this i found this with eating disorder recovery as well and i see it in my clients a lot and i and i definitely went through it where you go through an eating disorder and then you get really angry about diet culture <laughs> and really angry about society and the way that society is with um you know the just all diet culture stuff and that you know it it becomes this massive thing that you get really angry about. And then I always say with my clients, you get to a point where it's just like quiet confidence, where you don't need to be arguing with people about how problematic they are anymore or, you know, why they shouldn't be saying that. There, There might be some things that will still kind of trigger that in you, but generally there's such a calmness about it. And I feel like that happens with alcohol as well, because you learn a lot about the way that alcohol works with the brain and all of that stuff and the fact that you know effectively it's a drug that it is it is a drug it's a a highly addictive drug um and that and then you get to a point where it's just like yeah it's just something I don't really do anymore Hmm. um I can still go to a festival and dance like a crazy person I can still stand on stage and rap the French Prince of Bel-Air in front of hundreds (laughs) of people Like I can, I'm more myself now without alcohol. And I think that was the thing I was was running from a lot of the time was because I didn't really know who I was. I'd had an eating disorder for so long that I had to get to that point of really being okay with being who I was and learning how to cope with life and the uncomfortable parts. But we are told by society a lot of the time that, you know, this is what we do if we're you know and I was definitely in the binge drink it was it was about how much you could drink that was it it was like how much you could drink how how fun you were that was those were the things definitely of my kind of youth as well Um, so yeah I think it's it's hard to go against the grain if that is something that you want to do but I do feel that the I don't think my life would be where it is now if I hadn't stop drinking and that's just me personally Mm.
0: yeah I think it's really interesting and I think so much of what you're saying translates into why an eating disorder exists or at least it does for me in terms of I you know I don't think that I am enough And therefore, my eating disorder puts me in situations or like I do I perform behaviors that I think are going to make me feel enough. And I think alcohol does that, you know, it makes you maybe more confident or more outgoing. And then you you feel that you can be enough for everybody around you. Um, And I think, you know, it also it might numb experiences or emotions and an eating disorder does that as well. And I think that's why the transition is quite, you know, from one behavior to the next could be problematic but i also agree with you in that going from going from one behavior to the next isn't brilliant but i think if it gives you the space to explore things whilst being able to cope but also improving things i don't know whether it's it's not the worst thing in the world um but i kind of just wanted to ask you because you mentioned it at the start and we didn't really like talk much about it but you said that like your binge drinking was very similar to your experiences of bulimia in terms of like the binge purge cycle and i just wondered if you could maybe expand on that a little bit more for for the listeners yeah
1: sure um so the i used i used to use alcohol a lot when i was in the binge purge cycle so it would it would make things easier for me essentially because so i you, i wouldn't
0: sorry to butt in so you had the issue with drinking at the same time as the eating so so i thought it came after
1: yeah no it 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 developed it developed in the worst stages of my bulimia mm-hmm. i was drinking a lot so oh. whenever i would binge i would drink at the same mm-hmm. time because i was very ritualistic when i when i went through my binges because it would be like you've got to go and buy three of everything so that ended up being like three bottles of wine as well okay so that 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 kind because then it was more of a it was just that it was it turned into this ritualistic thing but it was also a bit it it made it made the whole process easier because i wasn't really there i was totally Mm. numbed out and just going through the motions um, so it was a vehicle, essentially, for that cycle to keep going. Um, but then, when and I think the, the the thing that you were what what we talked about briefly was when I did stop, um, when I kind of came out of recovery and my relationship with food was getting better, there was that part of me that felt like. I've got to have something. So I can't be too healthy because that's bad too. So I'm going to drink. But what I found when I drank, I would, you know, they you kind of say you lose your inhibitions or like, you know, the truthful you comes out, which I'm not, I don't totally agree with, but um, it became an excuse. Because what I would end up doing was I'd eat I'd drink so much that I would be Ill, I'd be ill mm. because I drank so much. So that's what I meant when I said there's like a ghost of the eating disorder behavior. Mm. Because it would be like I'd drink I I would drink a bottle of wine while I was cooking dinner and, and then I'd feel so ill after dinner because I'd had this whole bottle of wine that I'd end up in that cycle. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as Uh, It was a lot. And it it took me a long time to realize that as well, because I think there was a huge part of me that didn't want to see that because it was like, no, I'm better now. I've I've struggled. I've struggled against this for so long. I'm better now. And once I became more aware of it, that lessened, you know, a lot. But the numbing element of that was still what I was chasing for a long time was just not being present not thinking just going to sleep not having to be there um and I think that that is something that is quite common for people that do drink as a way of escaping um and those are the those are the people that maybe do want to think about what this what what this is serving in their lives mm-hmm. um when we trained we you know the what we were told really was that if you are in eating disorder recovery then um you shouldn't drink alcohol there was kind of this this idea that that can really get in the way especially if you are on you know antidepressants or Mm. um that kind of just because of the chemistry of, of everything going on but then there is the argument of but is that because of the calories, which I think is something that should be addressed and should be challenged. Um, But I think it needs to be done in a really mindful way Um, because otherwise you might find that there is an element of just um, kind of trying to do everything at once and just getting overwhelmed and nothing sticking, Mm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah yeah I I think um that has been my process with recovery I'm I was always when I tried to do it years before it was like okay we're just gonna like jump off the cliff and into the sea and whatever will happen and gonna like strip off all my clothes and I'm just gonna be bare naked and I think you do get to a point where you do have to do that um but often you know if you you have to get to a point where you just like dive in and you just go and see what what the world has to offer you but I think like stripping off all the like coping mechanisms and stuff that you have can actually be quite detrimental because you then just end up running back whereas if you you know unpack them gently and explore what serve what they're serving you um you know what's the meaning behind them what things can't you maybe do because And then that's helping to navigate that. That's a much better approach because then you're actually exploring it. You can put other things into place and you're not like quickly running back. Um, But something I was thinking about there when you were saying about like, you know, when you were training, you were told people like should not drink alcohol. I I completely agree in terms of the whole antidepressants thing. Um, And actually, I was just thinking, you know, if you did, say to somebody, you know, maybe you shouldn't be drinking whilst you're in recovery from alcohol because it could act as sort of a different coping mechanism. Again, this is probably just my perspective because of the reason I'm fearful of alcohol. But you don't necessarily have to drink alcohol in order to have a drink that has calories in it. I don't know, I think I'm just thinking about this very much aloud, but it would almost for me be more... Um, scary to drink let's say a non-alcoholic drink like I was saying before that has calories in it because for me it's like okay I can allow myself to have this drink because it's going to make me feel better but if I'm going to have this drink and then it's not going to make me feel better it's just I'm having this to be present in a social situation but it kind of tastes like alcohol then my brain would just be like well what's the point that's wasted calories so in a way I feel like that could be a way to navigate that in a more in a pro recovery way more than having the alcoholic drink if your concern is well I can't stop drinking because I I need to get over the fear of calories
1: Mm. yeah I think doing lots of different experiments like it Mm -hmm. like that is really useful and you know some people might recover and they have a perfectly healthy relationship Mm -hmm. with alcohol where they enjoy the times so that they drink they don't have any regrets from when they were drinking you know they're able to remember their night they're able to um, leave it when they you know it doesn't become something that they need like, that is very possible for a, a lot a lot of people mm. um so but i but i think that the real key with all of it is like what's behind it and is that is that addressed? has that has that been addressed or is that something you're ready to address? Because I think that a lot of the time we think of recovery as this one thing that happens and then everything's Mm -hmm. fine again. And the reality is that life, recovery doesn't make life suddenly easy, but it helps us to give us the tools to deal with it when it's shit. Sorry for the but essentially that's, (laughs) that's that's what recovery does and that's the same if you're looking at recovery from you know a shopping addiction or a gambling addiction or an an alcohol addiction we can be addicted to a lot of different things We, we we can be physically addicted or mentally addicted to things that have no physical like actual stuff going on that is deemed as addictive And I think that is what tells us what we need to know. If we can be addicted to something like shopping, then it's that dopamine stuff Mm -hmm. that we're trying to get to. And it's, you know, if if, if we're not, if we find ourselves that we have this addictive personality that we want, if we want to label it as something in our lives, then what is that doing? What is that helping with? What is that numbing? You know, and can we, give ourselves the tools to be able to deal with those things without the need to put a plaster over it for a little bit of time and i think you know if it is calories if it is kind of the calories element of it then challenging that with liquid calories milkshake being able to kind of try and challenge that in many different ways as well as challenging it with alcohol if that's something that is a part of your life depending on what stage of life you're at alcohol becomes more or less important Mm -hmm. I'm in my 30s now I have a two-year-old it's not really I mean some there is a bit of in some like mum culture kind of mums who gin I can't remember what what it's called there's like a like a gin wine mummy or something like you know mums who drink it's like um a thing. Like that sounds that
0: uh, sounds really
1: that's a healthy group to be part of <laughs> <laughs> well you know it, again it's just how people cope um yeah believe me with the with the toddler there are many times when they think god oh, it would be much easier if i could not be here right now in my mind but the but the thing is is that like i'm at a stage in my life where i don't i don't go out on nights out with friends um it's just not but but if you're in recovery when you're in your 20s or you've got a group of friends that are very much like that's how you get together and you care and you love and you want to be with those friends then allow yourself to experiment go on a night out without alcohol just try the alcohol free stuff see how that feels go on a night out with alcohol see how that feels and then see it as like okay well which one which one did i enjoy more which one did i feel better than i like allow yourself to experiment with- because I think that's the thing. When we are somebody who does struggle with any kind of addiction, there is a part of us that's very black and white. I'm either doing it well or I'm doing it bad. I'm either in recovery or I'm relapsing. I'm either, you know, and and actually what we need to stop doing is giving ourselves these black and white yes or no's and going, hmm, okay, how do I feel right now? Like mm-hmm. allow ourselves to make mistakes, allow ourselves not to be defined by the choices that we make, in kind of little increments and instead just go right can I be more compassionate to myself and allow myself to experiment with this and then some of that fear automatically goes away because you can't make a bad mistake
0: yeah I think you're so right there and I think that the black and white thinking translates so much in eating disorders like you say I'm either doing well in recovery or I'm relapsing or you know I'm either having not having this food or I'm going to eat all of it like it's it's very very common and it's actually because my brother um went sober for a while and he has recently just started having like the occasional pint and before that wasn't something that he could do whereas now he is able to have the occasional pint he has one pint and then and then he's done it, and he's happy with that and we were having a conversation about our relationship with alcohol and i said to him like once i start drinking i don't really feel like i can stop and he said that you know you can have that relationship with it and he said for him that was more difficult than cutting out completely was finding that sweet spot of having one or two. Um, And I'm not saying that that's going to be the most difficult for, for everybody. And I guess for some people like finding that sweet spot just might not be a possibility. It might be that you do need to kind of just cut it out. But I think it's like you say, it's so important that you experiment with it. And I think just from my perspective, in terms of a lot of eating disorders revolve around restriction, just being, able to be flexible with this and experiment with it like you said you know if you get to the point where you don't want to have a drink anymore and that is purely for your good intentions and you can be honest with yourself absolutely fantastic but if it comes to a situation where you do want to have one two three drinks with your friends and you know you're having a nice time that's also totally fine. I think it's when that eating disorder voice starts creeping in, in terms of, you know, oh, you know, this is a slippery slope or you've had way too many or you've not had enough or things like that. I think you can, personally, for me, I think I know when that inner critic is coming in and when that eating disorder is trying to drive my decisions compared to, I'm going to make this decision for me right now. And actually, I don't fancy a tonic right now. Or, yeah, I do fancy one. And, and that's totally okay as well.
1: Mm. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a hundred percent it as well. Um, and I think that that's the, I find the transference so interesting because actually I think a lot of people I've seen it, you know, I've been involved in lots of like the sober community for a long time now. And it's really interesting to see when somebody quits drinking, they change everything. So they will automatically go to the gym Eat like really, really healthily, and try and like up upgrade their entire life because of health. But as a result, what quite often happens is that they do start to translate that all or nothing mentality that they had with alcohol into food. Mm-hmm. So you know, I've spoken to plenty of people that they'll they'll kind of say, "Oh, you know, once I open a packet of biscuits, it all goes." Like, I can't, I don't have moderation. I didn't have it with alcohol. I don't have it with food. But that, I think, in itself is, I think our triggers are an opportunity to understand a bit more about ourselves. Mm -hmm. I don't, I personally don't think that anything is fixed for us. We have uh, the way that our bodies work and the way that our beliefs mould our actions and our thoughts and our behaviours and the fact that we can change those beliefs if we work on them. I think that that's really interesting and it's such an opportunity for us, but it's just about whether we're ready for that. And if we actually want that, and if we don't, then that's fine. If you're, you know, if if you're at a point where it's like, you know, I I have recovered. I'm able to eat how I never thought I could eat. But I do find that I I do tend to overdrink. Let that be that. And when you're ready to address it, if that becomes something you want to address, then you're going to come at it in such a better place instead of being like, oh, now I've got this. Now mm-hmm. I've got this. Because otherwise it just feels really heavy I remember when I went through my eating disorder it was like I had my eating disorder and then I had this crippling anxiety and it was like god's sake like i have just I've just got over this thing now I've got to deal with my anxiety and then when I kind of had come to the realization that actually my drinking was probably causing a lot of my anxiety issues and that maybe I should stop drinking um I ended up realizing that I was like oh great now there's another thing I have to deal with but I think when you change that oh great it's always me oh I'm always going to struggle oh like when you can change that into "Hmm, this is interesting that changes the way that it has it feels like it has power over you Mm. and that's when you can actually start to make strides because it's in, done in such a different way
0: yeah and I think that expert like that example that you've just given there goes back to what we were saying before about you know a transition from eating sort to alcohol or eating of anxiety or whatever it kind of just says to me that maybe you've resolved some things but you haven't resolved everything and there's still some things that you're trying to navigate and maybe your brain is not doing it in the kindest way possible to you but that gives you an opportunity to explore that Um, and I think obviously you know I'm not saying that going you know feeling anxious all the time or whatever is a wonderful experience because I know that it's not but I think like you said just changing that perspective rather than oh you know it's always me I'm always struggling with something it's like okay and this is hard to do. I'm not saying that this is easy, but like, here's and you know, this is a the next step on my journey, and I'm I'm gonna unpick this, and that means that in the future, like things will be better. Um, obviously, it'd be better if you just got to the end of eating disorder and everything was tickety boo, but um, I think it just shows you that there maybe is more to unpack, and and that's totally okay.
1: Yeah, because life's always going to happen to us, and I think yeah. that the more that you understand yourself and how you navigate the world, the more that you're gonna thrive in it. And I mm. think that being able to have a com- completely clear mind from not drinking, I realized that not being able to switch off was one of my big things and it was exhausting. And, and that's where EFT has been really helpful for me because it does help me just to, you know, let the stuff that's going in my head literally just go Mm -hmm. I can feel a lot I feel a lot calmer in myself but there's also there was also the shadow of I'm not good enough and I think and that was the driving factor for my eating disorder and that was strong but it's like it got weaker and weaker as it came as it kind of as it transitioned through those phases and now you know largely I can sit and I say I am good enough like I I am like I I'm 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 worthy of having a really good life and there are maybe parts of my life that maybe it shows up every now and then it's like but it's like oh okay you're, you're back you're trying here but mm-hmm. you know what I'm I see you and, and maybe there's something in me that feels a little bit uncertain let's talk to that part of myself instead of just kind of continuing to beat myself up with the belief that I'm always going to have this because Mm. yeah it it doesn't have to be that way
0: yeah and I think that goes back to that all or nothing nature doesn't it like you know if if I have an eating disorder thought then that means that I've got an eating disorder again but actually that's not true it's how you then navigate and how you respond to that thought you know if you have that thought and then you restrict your food intake then okay even maybe if you do it once it doesn't necessarily mean that you're back to where you started if it continues then maybe it needs some looking at but those thoughts probably if we're being if we're being honest will pop up but it's how we navigate them going forward that so i think makes a difference as to whether still engaging with an eating disorder or whether it's a thought that's popped up because you're going through a challenging situation and oh no I've got my recovery toolbox here and I can whack out something that I know is going to help me rather than tapping into the eating disorder
1: yeah and and I think that that is really important to say as well a lot because you know I think when you've when you you know I'm 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 in a really privileged position where I've been in recovered for about 10 years. And so I've, it's sometimes quite easy for me to paint things in this really like simplistic way. And I know from experience, it really isn't like that. I struggled for a long time. But it, it, you do, it's about you how you navigate. It's not about the fact that life suddenly becomes really easy or you never have those things again. But when I, after I had my son, I used to, I struggled a lot with intrusive thoughts. And one of my thoughts was if I eat, he's gonna die. And like that makes no sense, absolutely no sense. And I do think that there is that part that that may be slightly an eating disorder element to that. But I acknowledge that I felt like that and I didn't let it become bigger than it needed to be. It was, I just let it become a passing thought um, and I was able to navigate using all the tools that I have so that it it didn't even need to be something that was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, is it coming back? Uh-oh, like, am I going to struggle? It was just like, huh, that's a really weird thing to pop in. Like, I wonder what's going on and what was going on was I was absolutely shattered. But, you know, it's 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 really important to, to, to make that point because whether we're we're always going to be navigating life and our relationship to life whether that be our relationship with exercise food alcohol our bodies people around us we are in relationship all the time and we need to be in relationship because that's connection and that's part of the reason why we are here to connect and to be part of life so we're always going to come against challenges and and rocky patches but it's just about how we navigate through with the tools that we develop and that we learn and we gather as we go through it that and that's the stuff that makes the difference
0: Mm, yeah and I suppose with that in mind like if you do get a disordered thought when you think that you're you know swimming along in life pretty fine it is sort of like a warning sign of oh maybe things aren't quite right here like what else is going on for me right now why do I think that it's you know a good time to lean into those behaviors and maybe do I need to give myself a bit more self-care or a bit more compassion or really lean into what I'm experiencing at the moment to to look after myself rather than my natural instinct which might have been that you know what actually is going on and how can I explore that
1: yeah And, and reminding yourself that you are not your thoughts Mm -hmm. that your thoughts don't determine your actions they don't need to Mm -hmm. Um, it's you know you 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 can you can make that it can be just as interesting to watch your thoughts and without giving them any meaning you know and allowing yourself just to check in I think that's that's really that can be quite a powerful kind of thing to to remind yourself as well you know it, it could be a calling it could be a there's something to look into but we can also give ourselves permissions just to acknowledge it as it's just a thought and that thought doesn't define who I am it has no bearing on what I do and um, I don't need to give it any more energy than it's just taken up
0: yeah yeah absolutely I, I think um I was like feeling really anxious the other day and I was chatting to my mum and then I just got to the point, and I was like stop these are just thoughts they're taking up too much space I don't want them anymore let's move on and it was really funny how I I was all of a sudden just like "Hmm, this isn't even real I'm just gonna move on right now um but Emily thank you so much it has been so lovely to chat to you I feel like we explored so much today I think it's going to be a really really useful episode where can people go to find out more about you and the work that you do?
1: yeah so um i am on instagram uh i'm probably most active on instagram generally so i'm at we are mind body um same on tiktok uh and my website is www.wearemindbody.co.uk um so yeah i have clarity calls if people want to either know more about the work that i do or if they want to work with me um and yeah just send me a message and we can go from there
0: amazing well thank you so much it's been so lovely to speak to you again
1: it's been great to be back thank you
0: if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support, or talk to someone you trust.